Hi, I'm Shane Robertson, and welcome to the Maysville Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. Here at Maysville, we want to practice loving God, loving others, and serving the world. I trust this sermon will be an encouragement to you as it challenges your heart and strengthens your walk of faith. Now, grab your Bibles as we get ready to hear from the Word of God. much for being here today. God bless each one of you. I hope you have your Bible with you. If you do, let me encourage you to find Acts chapter number 16. Acts chapter number 16. We praise God for our guest today. My name is Shane. I'm the senior pastor here and it's a joy to have you in the Lord's house today. We're delighted that you're with us. Welcome to Maysville Baptist Church. We're preaching through the book of Acts. That's what we are doing and it's taking some time. We're in Acts chapter number 16. And we're just going uh, exponentially just all the way through and just uh, looking at Scripture and going verse by verse, text by text, pretext by pretext. It's impossible for me to preach everything in the book of Acts. In fact, I go back and start over and preach a whole series of different sermons again. But this morning, I want to preach a message entitled Truths About a Gentile Culture. Truths about a Gentile culture. And while you're finding your place in Acts chapter number 16, we're going to pick up in verse 16 and read all the way down to verse number 40 this morning. But I want to pause and I just want to just say happy birthday to Jim Seville. Jim, I I wanted to stop and point you out, dear brother. He's 83 years old uh, this week. And uh, I I even made the comment. I said, he may be the oldest one uh, in the worship center here at 930 until I had someone come behind him and say, I heard you're talking about birthdays. And I said, yeah. And uh, they just said, well, it's not going to be long. I'll be 88. And so, Jim, you've got some work to do, son. I'm telling you, you've got to work on it a little bit. Uh, But uh, we are, and by the way, so why didn't you tell us who it is? Because I don't want to have a bad day. That's why. And say, a bad day, we are all as Christians prone to having bad days. Someone wrote a little article and they said, uh, you know you're going to have a bad day when your birthday cake collapses from the weight of the candles. That's a bad day. They said this, they said, uh, you know you're going to have a bad day when you turn on the news and they're showing emergency routes out of the city you live in. Here's another one. You know you're going to have a bad day when your twin sister forgets your birthday. Here's one. Oh, mercy. You know you're going to have a bad day when you wake up to discover your waterbed is broke, and then you realize, I don't have a waterbed. Here's my favorite. You know you're going to have a bad day when your horn goes off accidentally and remains stuck as you follow a group of health angels down the freeway. That is a bad day. Even as pastors, we're, we're not immune to bad days. I, I heard a I heard a story of a pastor who came to church on a Monday, and as he pulled up the driveway, Richard, he found a dead mule in the front of the church. He picked up the telephone, and he called the police. The police arrived to fill out a report, and they looked uh, the mule over, David, and they said, we don't see any foul play here. He said, what you're going to need to do is you're going to need to call the health department. We can't do anything for you. So he said, well, thank you all for coming out. I appreciate it. He picked the phone up, called the health department, told the health department what the police department said. And the health department says, well, we don't see any health risk at all. We can't help you. We can't do anything. You need to call the sanitation department. So he hung up the phone with the uh, health department, called the sanitation department, and talked to the sanitation department. Said, yeah, we'll be glad to. We just got to get authorization from the mayor. 
Well, he hung up the phone with the sanitation department and he called and he called the mayor and he didn't want to talk to the mayor because the mayor had really been giving the pastor a hard time his whole tenure, the whole time he had been there. He didn't like the pastor. The mayor didn't like the pastor. The mayor, as a matter of fact, was hostile toward the pastor. He didn't like him preaching the Bible and just a really bad situation. But he called anyways and he was relieved when he got the receptionist and the receptionist said, we'll have the mayor call you just as soon as possible. Later on in the afternoon, the mayor called, and sure enough, he lit into that preacher. He chewed him up one side and down the other, and that preacher just listened to him, listened to him rant and rave and holler and scream and be all bent up and all worked up out of shape. And finally, at the end of the conversation, the mayor said, Listen, preacher, he said, Why'd you call me anyways? Isn't it your job to bury the dead? To which the preacher who had had his field had enough said, Yes, mayor, it is my job to bury the dead, but I always like to notify the next of kin. We, we all have bad days. We have bad days. And, and it's one thing to have a, a bad day on a Monday, but it's something completely different to have a bad day on a Sunday. Can I get a witness right there? Now, don't raise your hand, but there are sometimes, sometimes when we get up on Sunday morning, there's this tendency for the devil to get involved, and we have a bad day. And we all know. We fuss and fight at home and on the way to church, but as soon as we get to the church parking lot and open the door, what do we do? We put on our best smile, and everything's hunky-dunky, and everything is wonderful, and we come in just like there's nothing wrong at all. Well, that's exactly what we find here in the text. We find what happened to Paul and Silas on a Sunday, if you would, or on a Sabbath day in the first century. We find them coming to prayer meeting, and all of a sudden it's interrupted with a bad day. And the question I want us to ponder today is, how do we handle those bad days in the culture that we live in? Because I want to be honest with you, when you look at this passage of Scripture and you see the context that it's written in, there is no difference in the first century and the 21st century in a Gentile culture. You and I, not being Jews, are Gentiles. We live in a Gentile culture. And the Bible is so relevant that it gives us beautiful truths about our culture that we live in today and how we can respond to that culture that we're living in. As a matter of fact, when you look at the culture of Philippi at this particular season in their life, you'll find that there was no synagogue. Remember, no synagogue existed at all in this city. And Paul and Silas and Luke and Timothy were called of God on their second missionary journey to go into Macedonia here, into this particular city where Philippi is located. They're going into this, and they've heard a vision. Paul heard a vision of a man say, come over here and help us. We need somebody to come over here and share the gospel. Paul said, here am I, Lord, send me. My yes is on the table. I'm ready to go. And so they enter into this city, and as they enter into this city, not having a synagogue, not having a place of worship uh, that worships the one true God, they say, you know what? It is customary when there's no synagogue for them to have a prayer meeting by the river. And so they go down by the river and they find Lydia. Sure enough, a prayer meeting's there. Lydia's at that prayer meeting. Lydia receives Jesus Christ as her personal Savior and Lord. She gets radically saved. And I'm telling you what, she opens up her home, says, now you guys have a place to come and stay. She gets so radically saved that it scares the apostles, uh, it scares the apostle Paul. And, and he kind of steps back and says, I, I don't know, you're kind of a fanatic. And the Bible tells us in the scripture that she constrained them and said, no, you need to come stay at my house because everywhere else in the city is wicked. 
And so they do so. And as they are there, here we find ourselves in verse number 16 of chapter 16. I don't know how many weeks has transpired, but it is another Sabbath day. It is time to go to church again. Look what happened here on this particular worship day. Verse 16 says, now it happened. Well, you know when the scripture starts off, when now it happened, it's going, something good is about to go on. It says, as we went to prayer, that a certain slave girl possessed with a spirit of divination met us, who brought her masters much profit by fortune-telling. This girl followed Paul and us and cried out, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God, who proclaim to us the way of salvation. And this she did for many days. But Paul, greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out that very hour. But when her masters saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities. And they brought them to the magistrates and said, These men, being Jews, exceedingly trouble our city, and they teach customs which are not lawful for us, being Romans, to receive or to observe. Then the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates tore off their clothes and commanded them, saying, to, saying that they be beaten with rods. And when they had laid many stripes on them, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. Having received such a charge, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were loosened. And the keeper of the prison, awakening from sleep and seeing the prison doors open, supposing the prisoners had fled, drew his sword and was about to kill himself. But Paul called with a loud voice, saying, Do yourself no harm. We're all here. Then he called for a light. He ran in and fell down, trembling before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And I'm going to stop right here and say this parenthetically because there's been a lot of debate on verse number 30. A lot of people say this guard was saying, what do I need to do in order that I don't lose my job and lose my life because I am in serious trouble? Uh, that is not the context that's written here. In the context of this passage of Scripture, verse number 30 is very clear that this guard wanted to know how to have his sins forgiven and come to know Jesus Christ as his personal Savior and Lord. And so we find that Paul goes and says this in verse number 30. So they say, believe on the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke a word, then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes and immediately he and all of his family were baptized. Hey. And when he had brought them into the house, he set food before them, and he rejoiced, having believed in God with all of his household. And when it was day, the magistrates sent the officers, saying, Let those men go. 
So the keeper of the prison reported these words to Paul, saying, The magistrates have sent to let you go. Now therefore depart and go in peace. But Paul said to them, They have beaten us openly, condemned Romans, and have thrown us into prison. And now they do want to put us out secretly? No, indeed. Let them come themselves and get us out. And the officers told them these words to the magistrates. Now notice this next phrase. And they were afraid when they heard that they were Romans. Then they came and they pleaded with them and brought them out and asked them to depart from the city. So, so they went out of the prison and entered into the house of Lydia. And when they had seen the brethren, they encouraged them and then they departed. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading of his word. So here in this narrative, we really see two different stories. But we need to connect the stories because both stories are tied back to the prayer meeting that Lydia is a part of down by the river. When you look at this past scripture, there is no doubt Paul and Silas had a bad day. But we find here in the text how they handled that bad day. And through the course of this narrative, we see in the text four really important truths that exist in our culture today. And those are the truths that I want to point out this morning in the text. Number one, the first thing I want you to notice here in this passage of Scripture is that demons are real and they know the truth about Jesus Christ. Don't miss this. In verses 16 through 18, we see very clearly that the demons, that demons are real and they know the truth about Jesus Christ. Demons are just as real today as they were in the first century. Unfortunately, living in the West as we do, we like to medicate and we don't, oftentimes we do not incorporate the spiritual into what's happening in people's lives. I cannot tell you how many times I've gotten phone calls asking to meet with people who are seeing demons or seeing different uh, deviations, if you would, or divinations and different types of things. I got a phone call one day, asked me to come over in Carroll County. They said, would you please come pray over our home? Said, our daughter is wailing and flaying around. Said, every time she opens her door, she sees a pit going down and she sees demons calling her, telling her to come with them. It is a real thing that's happening today and we'll pass it off oftentimes as they must be on drugs or they must be on this, that, or the other. But you go to other countries, you go to third world countries, and you'll see the reality of the spiritual dimension that's out there and how it affects those individuals that are living in that culture. They are so terrified and so scared that they'll do whatever it takes to get the demons to get away from them. Here we find in this text a little girl that is possessed by a demon and this demon that's inside this little girl simply says the truth. Notice what the Bible says in these verses, in verses 16, 17, and 18. Now it happened as we went to prayer that a certain slave girl possessed with the spirit of divination met us who brought her masters much profit by fortune-telling. This girl followed Paul and us and cried out saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. And this she did. 
for many days. I want you to notice three things here about this passage of Scripture in regards to this particular truth. Number one, the first thing I want you to see is the walking of the demon. The walking of the demon. If I had to retitle this or edit this, I would change that term walking to slithering. So why was that? I want you to take your pens and I want you to look at what the Bible says here. The Scripture tells us in verse number 16 that this was a spirit of divination. You see it there in verse 16? A spirit of divination. Now, why is that important? Don't miss this, friend. In the Roman and Greek days, this term spirit of divination in the Greek here is the Greek word python. David, this is another reason to hate snakes. Python. That's what it means. The word python was associated with the symbol of the Delphi oracle. You'll recall when we were studying 1 Corinthians, around 1 Corinthians chapter number 14, we were introduced to a lady called the Delphi Oracle, or the Oracle of Delphi. Uh, this lady was possessed with the, with the python spirit. And this python spirit would tell the future. And this python spirit would confuse the people in the city saying, you're not truly spiritual. You haven't had a true spiritual experience until you speak in an unknown tongue. And so the oracle at Delphi would do everything in its power to convince the people that the only way of true salvation was to follow after the Greek Roman uh, uh, god, if you would, Apollo, and follow after him by speaking in an unknown tongue. It was a demonic tongue. And by doing so, you would put yourself in a classification that you would be spiritual. We find that in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Here we are introduced to it in Acts. And in Acts in this chapter, the Bible says that this girl is possessed with this, with this python spirit. And this python spirit, the Bible says in verse number 17, followed Paul and us. You see that there? I would underline that word because we're seeing how this python spirit is walking with Paul and, and Timothy and Luke and Silas. And as they're walking week after week to church, this python spirit is coming behind them and telling the truth about who they are. But not only do I want you to see the walking of the demon, I want you to see the talking of the demon in verse 17. The talking of the demon. What does the demon say? The demon says there in verse number 17 that these men are the servants of the Most High God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. The term here, the Most High God, was a common Old Testament term for God, but it was equally as common in the Gentile world. It was applied to Zeus, the Roman God, the Greek gods. So you have Apollo and Zeus that already magnified inside this city. And as they're magnified in the culture of this city, when the people would hear the term Most High God, their minds would go to Zeus, not God, the one true God. And as they would think about that, they would think about the term way of salvation as they proclaimed here, as this demon proclaimed, and the way of salvation was a term that the Greco-Romans would often use, and they would also, it's very interesting to note, that they would also use the term Savior, Deliverer, Salvation, all of these were popular terms that the Romans in the, in the Greek culture would talk and use. 
And so this demon, by mentioning this, was doing nothing but confusing, if you would, the people. And so when they would say, or excuse me, when the demon would say, these individuals, these men, are the servants of the Most High God, and they are proclaiming to us the way of salvation, the demon was trying to distract from Jesus Christ and put the attention on the Greek gods and say, we need, they're talking about how we need to follow the oracle of Delphi, Apollo, Apollos, and also Zeus. This is the way of salvation. And so we find here, in this particular passage of Scripture, the talking of the demon was to confuse the people. And then, number three, the third thing I want you to see is the stalking of the demon. Did you see in verse number 18? The Bible says in verse number 18 that this she did for many days. Day after day after day after day, this was happening and confusing the people. Some people have asked the question, why in the world would Paul stop what was essentially free PR from this demonic enemy. I mean, here, this demonic is telling the truth. Yes. But the reason why Paul had to stop it is because the language that the demon was using was confusing the people, was taking the attention off of Jesus Christ and putting it on the Greek gods that existed in that culture today. That's why you find in this passage of Scripture, the Bible says here that Paul became greatly annoyed and he turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. You see, when he said Jesus Christ, that changed everything. Hey. Jesus is a name above all names. He's higher than Apollo. He's higher than Zeus. He's higher than the, 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 than the, the, than the Oracle of Delphi. He is Jesus, the Son of the living God. Hey. You know what's worth noting here? What's worth noting is this. James had something to say about demons. James said that the demons believe in God. He said, if you believe in God, you do well. The demons believe in God, and they do what? Tremble. Tremble. When the demons think about standing before the judge of this universe, the Bible says that they tremble. Why? Because they know they're in trouble. But when it comes to Jesus Christ, what do the demons do? We find it here in the text. When the demons talk about Jesus Christ, they tell the truth. What is the truth? Look at what the Scripture says. The Bible says these men are the servants of the Most High God, tremble, who proclaim the way of salvation, Jesus Jesus is the only way to be saved. And these demons know Jesus, and they know the truth about Jesus Christ. Now, they can't be saved, but they can tell the truth. So what's the point? What is the point here? The point is simply this. As a born-again child of God, you can never be possessed by the devil. But you can be oppressed. Oppression is for believers. What was this demon trying to do to Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke? What was he trying to do to them? Oppress them. What was this demon doing to a non-believing person? Possessing them. So oppression is for believers where they oppress you and try to make you feel discouraged and down. But possession is for non-believers. Non-believers are possessed by these evil spirits or can be possessed by these evil spirits. 
One of the things I find fascinating about this text, I want you to notice it in verse number 17. The Bible says, and the girl, and the girl followed Paul in us. You see that word us right there? In this passage of Scripture, that word us in the plural is going to drop away. You're not going to see it again. It's not going to show up again over in, until Acts uh, chapter uh, 18, 19, or 20 is going to come back again. Uh, many scholars believe that uh, Luke's home was there in Philippi. And somewhere over the course of these several days when this girl is coming and she's speaking these evil things as being possessed by the Spirit, at some point, Luke and Timothy leave and they go somewhere else. Because you don't see them in this in this uh, persecution they're not in the persecution where did they go some say they went home they went home to deal with some business there and to take take care of some things so they see and they get this report coming uh, by the leadership of the Holy Spirit of God and also by the pen of Luke as he writes this down but they see that the point of this particular passage is that oppression happens in believers but possession happens to non-believers and the cure, listen to me, if you are a non-believer and you feel like you've got this evil spirit inside of you, listen to me very carefully, the only answer for you is Jesus Christ. Number two, here's the second truth. Truth number two, the culture only cares about money. Now, I'm talking about the first century Gentile culture, but I'm also talking about the 21st century culture that you and I live in. We only care about money. It hasn't changed. The Gentile culture has not changed in all of these years. In the book of Acts, we see that money was a frequent obstacle to the gospel. When you see uh, that Paul and Silas are taking the gospel of Jesus Christ into the Gentile world, we see that in Acts chapter number 8, in Simon Magnus' life, money was a problem. You'll notice in Acts chapter 19, we're going to be introduced to a man by the name of Demetrius. He's going to have a problem with money. Here in this particular passage of Scripture, we find that the greed of the slave girl's owners is what's going to prevent them from coming to know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior and Lord. Why is that? Because you cannot serve two masters. You will love the one and hate the other. And the Bible says you cannot serve money. As soon as you commit your heart to money and worship money, the scripture is plain, 1 Timothy 6.10, for the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some have converted after or have coveted after, they erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. And so we find here that the sorrows that these men are going to experience are the sorrows of worshiping money. We live in a culture that only cares about money. What does the love of money do for you? When you worship money, what does it do? There's two character traits that we find here in this text of individuals that love and worship money. Let me show them to you. Number one, the first one is anger. Individuals that love money more than they love God are potentially angry people. Verse 19, the Bible says, But when her masters saw their hope of profit was gone, what was their hope in? Money. When the hope that they had in money was gone, the Bible says they seized Paul and Silas and they dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities. And they brought them to 
the magistrates. We see here the term drag them into the marketplace. This is a social gathering place in the city center. Today, in our culture, we drag people to Facebook. We drag people to social media. And we drag them into social media and we, we talk about them in a negative way. How many Bible-believing, Bible-preaching preachers that stand behind the sacred desk that God has given them and preach the word of the living God in such a capacity to say, let God's word be true and every man a liar, all but to be put on Facebook, whether it be secretly or publicly by naming their names and condemning them for preaching what God has called them to preach. The Bible says that there's this anger inside of these individuals that, that love money. But not only do we see anger, but we also see the attitude. People that love money more than God have a bad attitude. Hey. Now, verse number 20, look, look again at the text. Uh, the Bible tells us there in verse number 20 in the latter part, the Bible says, after they brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men, being Jews, exceedingly trouble our city that they teach customs which are not lawful for us being Romans to receive or to observe did you see here in the attitude the accusations were threefold watch this it happens today number one the first thing they say is these individuals are Jews now that's only a half truth the devil loves to tell half truths. Hey. what they did not know or what they weren't willing to investigate was that these individuals were dual citizens. Right. Not only were they citizens of Jerusalem, of Israel, but they were also citizens of Rome. When you think about that, you cannot help but think about in our culture today when some high uh, social person, let, let's take Kirk Cameron as an example. When someone like Kirk Cameron receives Jesus Christ as their personal Savior and Lord, they are labeled in such a way that they have lost their mind. They're Christians. He is now, now he's a radical, and they get disowned from the industry. Or here's another example. Another example would be former Vice President Mike Pence. Do you remember former, Mike, uh, former Vice President Mike Pence when he, uh, uh, when he made the statement that he doesn't meet with a female by himself? Man, the culture was looking at him like, like he had a, a, an eye in the middle of his head, like he was some kind of monster. He's crazy. As a born-again child of God, the culture wants to look at you and they want to accuse you of being a Christian. My point is simply this. Let them do it. What they don't know is that we're dual citizens. Notice what the Scripture says. Not only do you see here in this text, in, in regards to their attitude, they, these men are Jews. The second accusation was this. They exceedingly trouble the city. You want to talk about hypocrisy at its best. Here it is. Think about this just for a minute. This accusation is coming from people whose job it was to interrupt individuals in the city by walking beside them and talking to them in such a way, predicting their future by interrupting those individuals' lifestyles. You talk about a double standard. You think about what Paul and Silas, what were they doing? They were on their way. They were just walking to prayer meeting, minding their own business to preach the Word of God. And yet they were interrupted. But the accusation that's made against them is the same truth that the culture is practicing against them. 
It reminds me a lot today of tolerance in our culture. Tolerance is a one-way street in our culture today. You're expected to be tolerant. You know what that means for you, Christian? Listen, tolerance for you means you need to sit down and shut up. Now, I know that's a bad word for little children, but it's true in our culture. They want you to sit down and not say a word. That's tolerance. But they can come alongside you and they can point out every archaic error that you have because you believe the Word of God. Brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, I submit to you today that in regards to this accusation, we've got to continue to be faithful to preach and teach and live the Word of God. Number three, here's the third one in regarding their attitude. Here's the third accusation. They teach customs that are not lawful to us. There's a reason why no synagogue existed here in Philippi. It was an unwritten law. They were simply saying that it's not healthy to proselyte. Now, I want you to think about this just for a minute. If there was ever a group of people that were men without a country, it was Paul, Silas, um, uh, Luke, and also Timothy. So what do you mean? Well, because the Gentiles looked at them and thought they were Judaizers. They thought they believed in Judaism. The Jews looked at them and said, these guys are Christians, they're blasphemers. So you've got the religious Jews calling them blasphemers, and you've got the Gentiles looking at them calling them Judaizers, and here they are going, we're neither. We're really born-again children of God that are trying to communicate the truth to you. And so they come up with this unwritten law that says, you guys are teaching what you're not supposed to be teaching. You're not supposed to be teaching Judaism in this country, which, by the way, did not come around into the second century. Remember, we're living in the first century here. This is the first century church. And so that rule is not going to be put in place and persecution is not going to be that heavy until the second century. So basically what we're finding out here in this text is this is a kangaroo court. How do you know it's a kangaroo court? Turn over to verse, chapter, verse number 35 again. Notice what the Bible says again in verse 35. After all has said and been done, they have been beaten publicly. They've been accused verbally. They have absolutely been run through the ringer. And then the next day, and according to verse number 35, the Bible says, and when it was daytime, the magistrates sent the officers saying, let them go now. And so the keepers of the prison reported these words to Paul saying, it's time for you to go, and they want you to go in peace. They're, they're, they're all done with you. Depart, go in peace. But Paul said to them, I don't think so. They have beaten us openly. They have condemned Romans. And they've thrown us in prison. And now they want to put us out secretly? No, indeed. You see, there ought to be some form of explanation or an, an, an explanation point after no, indeed. In the Greek, it's so emphatic. It's almost as if uh, Paul stands up with his hands. He says, I don't think so. We see the indignant, the righteous indignation that he has inside of him. He says this, let them come themselves and get us out. And the officers told these words to the magistrates. And here's, the, here's where we find it as a kangaroo court. And they were afraid when they heard that they were Romans. You see, they did not do a proper investigation. They judged them on the premise of what was going on. It all revolved around money. The culture only loves money. I read an article this week about uh, the pastor in Canada 
the pastor in Canada was just Tim Stevens. He just was released from prison this week. His crime, he held public service. He had public worship services. He was a Baptist church, just like this. And he held services, and he was put in prison in Canada. And he just got out. This brings us to the third point I want to point out today very quickly. The third point I want you to see is I want you to see, number three, that Christians will be persecuted in this culture. Christians will be persecuted in this culture. When you, when you look at the first century, you see that they were persecuted. I'm telling you folks today in the 21st century, there's persecution beginning here in our culture. Pastor Tim uh, Stevens is one in Canada. John MacArthur is one here in the United States. Persecuted in California for holding services. When you look at this text and you think about this truth, Christians will be persecuted in this culture. We see it in verses 22 through 32. And there's two things I, that I really think are worth pointing out. Number one, the first one is the persecution in general. We see that it came in two forms. Number one, it came verbally. Verse 22, did you see it? The scripture says, Then the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods. There's this verbal communication, we are going to punish you. But then it moves from verbal to physical. You see it there in the text, verse 23 and 24. The Bible says they did three things there. Number one, they beat them. The Bible tells us there in verse number 23, and when they had laid many stripes on them, uh, that many stripes were with rods. We find that there were individuals called lictors, and they had these big cane-like rods, and they would, they would beat them, and they beat Paul and Silas. Paul, it was so bad. Paul makes mention of this in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 25, and he says, I, he says, literally, I was beaten like this three times. Three times I was beaten with rods, he says. Number two, the second thing we find, the physical uh, abuse that they got in persecution was they were thrown in the inner prison. Not, not just in the holding cell for overnight. They threw them in maximum security in the dungeon. And then number three, the third thing you see is that they put them in stocks. This is what we know in history as the rack. They had their hands and their feet in the rack. And it was an uncomfortable position. It was no comfort. Again, the goal was to, in, to introduce them to pain to get them to stop doing what they were doing. If we give them enough pain, they'll stop talking about Jesus Christ. And so they had them there. And can you imagine? They're there in those stocks, and we see the persecution. We, we move from the persecution to the product. What's the product of them being in these stocks? Does it tell them to be quiet? No. We see in verses 25 through 33, three things. Number one, we see prayer and praise. When these men were persecuted, it moved them into an area of prayer and praise. Verse number 25, the Bible says, but at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and all the prisoners were listening to them. Can I ask you a question? When you have a bad day, does it move you to a place of prayer and praise to God? Here we find in this text, James chapter 1, verse 2 through 8, put in practice. 
Remember what James said, my brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, I want you to count it all joy when you fall into various forms of trials and temptations in difficult times. Because by God allowing that to happen in your life, it is bringing about a maturity that God is developing inside of you that you are growing up in Jesus and coming closer to him. You see, we want to absolutely fellowship. We want to rejoice, rejoice in his resurrection. But we can't rejoice in his resurrection until we understand the fellowship of his suffering. Paul and Silas understood the fellowship of the suffering that they were going through for Jesus Christ, and the product of that was prayer and praise. Number two, the second thing you see is power in prisoners. Power in prisoners. In verses 25 through 29, you see that the world can't beat prayer and hymns that come from our heart. When your heart is right with God and you realize the circumstance that you're in is not to dictate your joy, but the circumstance that you're in is to give, you are to give praise to God and glory to God and count it a great joy that you would suffer for his name's sake. People are watching. You want to know why the world's not turning to Jesus Christ? Because they see how you and I act when we go through difficult days. May it be said that we as born-again children of God in the 21st century, when we go through a difficult season in our life, a difficult time in our life, may we take Paul and Silas as an example, whether we end up in stocks in prison that are uncomfortable. The point here is this, culturally speaking, when we are in an uncomfortable situation, we must pray and praise God. And brothers and sisters, we're in an uncomfortable situation in our culture today. But we are just as messed up today as this culture was in the first century. Persecution is around the corner. And people are watching. Do they see us praising God and praying to God and asking God to deliver us and confessing our sins and worshiping God? No, what they see us doing is griping about everything around us. And then I want you to notice the third product. We see prayer and praise, power and prisoners. And then the third product is protection and pardon. Verses 30 and 33, we see that the lictor is uh, protected and he's pardoned. So much so that he asks the question, what must I do to be saved? And when he comes to know Jesus Christ as his personal Savior and Lord, the first thing that he immediately does is a changed man. Now, he was, this guy was the one that was beating them. He then begins to doctor their wounds. And he wants to know the truth about Jesus Christ. I can almost see it in my mind's eye. Here is this Roman guard whose job is to take the rods and beat people. Is now realizing that Jesus Christ took a beating. And the beating was for his sins. And he comes to Paul and Silas and says, what must I do to be saved? And the Bible is very clear. The Bible says that they shared with him Jesus Christ. Verse 31 says, they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved, you and your house. Then they, sp- here it is, then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all that were in his house. He took them home with him. Just like Lydia. Took them home with him. 
doctored their wounds, listened to the gospel, gave their hearts to Jesus. In verse 33, the Bible says, then the same hour, remember, this is past midnight, they washed their stripes and immediately his whole family was baptized. The Bible says that when they brought him into the house, they set food before him and they rejoiced that they believed in God. All because they were persecuted. And then number four, my time is up, but let me give it to you very quickly. Verses 34 through 40, I want you to see the fourth truth. How you respond to persecution matters. How you respond to persecution matters. There's four things in verses 34 through 40 that we see in response to persecution. It matters because, number one, it produces an open door for ministry. In verse number 34, the Bible says this. Now, when he had brought them into his house, the Scripture says he set food before them and he rejoiced having believed in God with all of his household. Because Paul and Silas, when the earthquake happened, when prayer and praise were going up and the earthquake happened, the doors opened, the the shackles fell from their feet, and they just sat there in the cell. It opened up a door of ministry that they had not had previous to this. And the product of that was people got saved. Number two, it puts the focus on the most important thing. Verse number 35 And when it was day, the magistrates sent the officers saying, let those men go. But the Bible tells us there in verse number 36, so the keepers of the prison reported these words to Paul saying, the magistrates have sent to let you go. Now therefore depart and go in peace. What is the main thing? The main thing here is that they were trying to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And while they could have walked out of that cell, they knew they had another opportunity to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. It produces and puts the focus on the main thing. The main thing today, brothers and sisters, is bringing glory to God's name. Number three, it provides the setting for boldness. It provides the setting for boldness. The way you respond to persecution matters because it provides the setting for boldness. Verse number 36 uh, and following, the Bible says that the magistrate said, you can go in peace. But Paul said to them, we've been beaten openly, condemned by the Romans, and now you want to throw us out privately? No, we're not going to. He became emboldened. Why? Because people are being saved. That's right. And then number four, here's the final one. It protects the church from discouragement. It protects the church from discouragement. Did you see what happened in verse number 40? In verse number 40, in Lydia's house, there's this church that's beginning to start. It's being birthed. They've been going down by the river to pray, but here we find in Lydia's house, a group of believers are meeting. And as these believers are meeting, they're talking. Paul and Silas are in jail. They're coming after us. And then all of a sudden, Paul and Silas walk into the house. And the Bible says, when they had seen the brethren, they encouraged them and departed. They encouraged them. Don't miss it. They came to the house and said, y'all ain't going to believe what happened. You ain't going to believe what happened. Said, we got to prison after they had beat us mercilessly. I mean, they beat us. They threw us in stocks. 
And at midnight, I just got a song in my heart, and Silas and I just started singing Amazing Grace. And as we began to sing, and they probably were singing the Psalms, as they were singing some of the Psalms and testifying to the Messiah coming and all, all of a sudden there was an earthquake and the, the, the chains opened up and we, got, and we got to stretch a little bit. And we won that jailer to Jesus. And then we went to his house and he fed us and doctored our wounds. We won his whole family to Jesus. And then we were able to baptize him. Brothers and sisters, I'm telling you today that how you respond to persecution matters. And the point is simply this. Persecution is here today. And we must respond biblically if we want to see converts for Jesus Christ. I read a story this week. came out of China. And there was these Christians that were meeting together and praying and asking God to do something great in this prayer meeting. And the Chinese government found out about them, and they came, and they started persecuting them, making them go home, wouldn't let them meet. And they kept praying for their persecutors, kept asking God to deliver them from their persecutors. But God didn't want to deliver them from their persecutors. He wanted their persecutors to come to Jesus. And the persecutors began to realize that these individuals were not going to stop worshiping God. And so they began to ask questions. And as they asked questions, one by one, each one of those persecutors who were beating those Christians, who were throwing them out, making them depart, whipping them, hitting them, each one of them came to know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior and Lord. And the church continued to grow. It is said that the largest Christian church that exists in the world is the underground church of China. We do not know how many people are involved in that underground church. Brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, I submit to you, if we continue down our Hellenistic, hedonistic ways in the United States, the church will be persecuted in this Gentile culture. How we respond to it is a matter of whether or not we grow or not. I submit to you that let us be like Paul and Silas. Enduring the most darkest, difficult days of persecution that may lie ahead for the church in America. May we pray and praise and watch God do supernatural things as men, women, boys, and girls receive Jesus Christ and are saved. I want to ask you a question this morning as I close us in prayer. If you were to die today, sir, if you were to die today, ma'am, do you know for sure that you'd go to heaven? That's the most important thing. In the culture that we're living in, we're seeing and people are saying, well, you don't believe the Bible. The Bible's archaic. The Bible's old. The Bible's outdated. It's an outdated book. According to the Word of God, the Bible says there's no new thing under the sun. This world will pass away, but his word will never pass away. So, brothers and sisters, if Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, I want to ask you today, how are you getting to heaven? So, preacher, I'm getting to heaven on my church membership. The Bible says that's not going to save you. It's not good enough. I'm going to heaven on my baptism. It's not good enough. That's not going to be good enough. 
So I'm getting to heaven because my daddy was a preacher and my daddy was a, uh, a deacon. No, that ain't going to do it. The only way to get to heaven, sir, the only way to get to heaven, ma'am, is to come through Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man will come to the Father but by me. Paul said this in the book of Romans. If you'll confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that's faith, you will be saved. So I want to ask you today, where are you going to spend an eternity? Have you confessed with your mouth? Have you believed in your heart? I'm telling you, we're living in a culture today that's going to progressively get worse and worse. You better know where you're going to spend an eternity. I want to help you with that today. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed as we come to this invitation in closing, maybe you're here today. And maybe you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and Lord. I want to give you that opportunity, sir. I want to give you that opportunity, ma'am. I want to give you an opportunity to exercise Romans and confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. If you're here today, whether you're listening by radio, watching by video, you're in the room itself. If you would like to trust Christ as your Savior and get this thing settled, would you say something like this to the Lord? Would you say, Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I believe that you are the Savior. And this morning I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I repent of my sin, and I trust you as my Savior. Thank you for saving me. I'll live for you. In Jesus' name. Now before I say amen, I want to pray one more prayer. Maybe you're here today and maybe you're born again. Maybe you are a Christian. But you have found yourself in a position where you complain. You're discouraged. You're not faithful to the Lord in your prayer time. And the Lord Jesus Christ has dealt with you today in relationship to your walk with Him. Friend, if you're here today and that's you, would you just get right with the Lord? The Bible says if you'll confess your sins, He's faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you from all your unrighteousness. This morning, I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you today to get right with God. Lord, thank you so very much for this text, a lot there. Lord, so much there. In the name of Jesus, I pray that people would be saved, not just today, but this week. And whatever persecution we might engage in, verbal or physical, may you receive the glory, honor, and praise how we handle it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. As a pastor, my primary concern is your eternity. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, that you can know where you will spend eternity. I would love to connect with you and talk more about your walk of faith. You can email and find more information about the ministry of Maysville Baptist Church on our website. Just type maysvillebaptist.net in your search engine. Also, you can support this ministry through our website or by mailing your gift to 8875 Highway 82 Spur Road, Maysville, Georgia, 30558. God bless you, and I hope you tune in next week where once again we turn our hearts towards the Word of God.